Welcome back to Talking Acoustics. I was in Wellington in New Zealand recently for the New Zealand Acoustical Society uh, conference and I had a chance to catch up with a number of people including today's guest Stephen Marsland. Stephen is a professor of mathematics and data science at the University of Wellington uh, but he's become deeply involved with acoustics uh, with the Avians uh, research project uh, which involves a piece of software that is used to identify endangered bird species from uh, field audio recordings. Uh, his work pulls together uh, mathematics, uh, data science and machine learning, uh, ecology, acoustics, um, and it was a really interesting keynote he gave. So I caught up with him uh, after the keynote and uh, we had a bit of a chat. Great, well I'm with uh, Stephen Marsland, uh, who is Professor of Mathematics and Data Science at the University of Wellington, um, which is a great title. Um, <laughs> but how do you explain what you do to um, someone at a barbecue? <laughs> it's now, now quite easy. It used to be, I said, I'm a mathematician and people went to sleep. And now I kind of say, I'm a mathematician, but I also do lots of things with birds, and I listen to birds, and I record birds, and I try and estimate how many birds there are, and because of this I get to go and catch birds and give them cuddles that they don't really want. <laughs> Which is far more popular, funnily enough, than saying that I do infinite dimensional geometry. <laughs> so, so you're a mathematician with uh, an interest in geometry who catches yeah. and counts birds. So at some point I got... And, and we're at an acoustic conference. How, how, what's going on here? <laughs> Right, let's go back to the dawn of a, a history that's eight years ago, give or take, maybe longer. A student came in my office and said, I've come, come to Massey University in Palmerston North, I want to do a PhD, but the supervisor I was going to have has left. I was like, okay. And she said, I was told to talk to you. So I said, it's nice. What, what are you interested in? She said, speech. And I said, I don't know anything about speech and I care less. And her face just fell. And was felt a bit guilty so I said but I'm really interested in birds and birds make noise and I think I know how to deal with sound because it's curves and I, I describe curves that's what I do as a mathematician so do you care about birds and I'm pretty sure the answer was no but she was pretty desperate and she said yes <laughs> so we wandered down to the ecology department and we knocked on a couple of doors and somebody was in a woman called Isabel Castro and we said we've got this great idea we're going to listen to birds and recognize them and she was amazingly enthusiastic and what I've since discovered is Isabel is enthusiastic about everything. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if I'd realised that then. <laughs> so Narosha, who was the student, did a PhD looking at could we deal with long-time field recordings. So you pick up birdsong, but you also pick up all the noise, everything that's going on around, rain, wind, other birds, whatever's happening, people talking cars, everything, yeah. and you hope to filter out the bits that you're interested in and start to recognise species, and my big aim was to make that a mathematical thing and then a statistical thing so we could estimate abundance and look how great it was. So you, you make a recording and then you take away everything that's not a bird. Yep, and then you recognise those and start to say, well, now based on how many, there are, based on how many calls you got, can you turn that into abundance? And the answer is, well, we're still doing it eight years later, so yeah. it wasn't as easy as... I thought it was going to be. So this is this is the Avia 
NZ. So I use to say avians. Avian. Oh yeah. Yes, okay. So it's kind of shorter. Because it's because it's birds. It's only birds, and it's only New Zealand. It's only birds. It's only New Zealand. Except it's also whales, bats, gibbon, and most of those are in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of gibbons yeah, around here. Really terrible naming, it turns out. But. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a research project, and out of that, there's a there's an open source piece of software um, that combines acoustics and mathematics and conservation biology um, for monitoring of, of species um, and the theory and application comes out of geometry part of the theory yep and, and <laughs> the, uh, I guess the the, the software side of it is machine learning um, yep. so the geometry bit I guess that's where you're heading is <laughs> um, so when you you take a standard piece of sound recording and you turn it into a spectrogram so that's you take you take a bit of the sound you get a window to make it go to zero nicely on both sides take the Fourier transform of that and that gives you a histogram of you've got time on one axis and you've got frequencies on the other axis and what you see is areas of clear definition where there is energy in the frequencies mm. so people have been doing that by in biology ecology for a long time to look at animal noise and obviously people use it for many other things as well, mm. but you can you meet a lot of biologists who can pretty much sing them. They look at it and they kind of sing it back to themselves and recognize, or you can just look at it and sometimes recognize. So my idea was if you extract each of the curves from there, the ones that make up that sound, then we can match those to others by looking at how much, if, imagine it's a piece of elastic, how much elastic stretching and bending would you have to do to make it look like a different one? Mm. And the idea is if it was a short distance, it would be a similar call, and if it was a long distance, it would be a different one. So basically my life prior to this was <laughs> was not really the theory of elastic bands, but <laughs> you could explain how, how to deform shapes and how much energy that might take, and you could use that for applications. I never actually did, but you could use it, for example, in medical imaging to say, well, if this is what somebody, an area of somebody's brain looks like and this is somebody else's area of the same could we see that one person had a disease and one didn't? So I'm just turning the same question into ecology rather than... Yeah. So is that, uh, is that a different approach to the pattern recognition than other, you know, yes. you know, others where, where you, I, I guess, which is, or at least to my un, untrained yep. <laughs> observation externally, is, is, is taking uh, audio and turning it into a visual image and then... Comparing, you know, comparing it in the, looking at, comparing pictures yep. in the visual. So, yeah, so most other people, I mean, until 10 years ago, people didn't even turn it really into a picture. They just measured things about it. Mm. So you might measure the frequencies, the length, just keep on. If you can think of it, you can measure it. So yeah. dump them all into some machine learning algorithm and say, is this the same? Yeah. And then convolutional neural networks took over vision and everyone said, well, Spectrograms look a bit like images. They're not, but let's pretend they are. And, <laughs> and in that case, you can just say, so now I'm going to show you 10,000 pictures of this, and you should be able to learn to recognize those. So if you've got 10,000 pictures, you're happy. If you don't have 10,000 pictures, then you better find a way to make them. <laughs> yes, and, and uh, um, part of your research is uh, looking at endangered species. Mm -hmm. And machine learning knows what to listen for if you give it a really big accurate yep. data set um, but that's not always available with that's an endangered species or, or with uh, it was at the South Island South Island Kokako where it's not 
yeah, <laughs> we have no Pre- examples. Presumed of. endangered, <laughs> presumed extinct well, at some point. Yeah. So there's not not a lot of audio. There's recordings, not a lot of there. audio recordings. Definite shortage. So that's some turns <laughs> out, but not very many, and they're quite scratchy. So. And so w- what do you do in that situation where you're trying to look for something that is endangered or that so doesn't have a big data set to start with? So for endangered, it... So what I've done for some species is you just suck up as much data as you can get. So you might put out lots of recorders and go and have a listen for everything and get people to annotate. And one of the ideas of avians, a software, was to make it really easy to annotate and check things. So that was... Mm. Again, it's the kind of thing that people who work with sound knew how to do and knew how to look at and had really good, expensive, high-quality tools. I just needed something that was free and people would use without having any knowledge. I, want, I wanted people who do things in the bush yeah. to be able to go and use it. Yeah. So, so if you can hoover up enough data and you can persuade people to mark things for you, mm. you can do some of the work. Uh, and so, uh, sorry, sorry, a yeah, rare species, that's fine. <laughs> You might get, I don't know, a couple of thousand calls if you wait long enough. Yeah. You might need six months of data. Mm. And then you can start to generate variations around that. So you add noise to it, do all the tricks that you use to turn that into more data Mm. and start to use more and more of that and feed, try and feed the um, tail to the snake and go around a few, Mm. few loops. And hopefully that gets you there. Now, for even more endangered stuff, that doesn't work. You don't yeah. know what it sounds like. Yeah. So for the South Island Kokako, which is the one you just mentioned, we have some scratchy old recordings. We have a related bird. The North Island Kokako is, it's got the same name nearly, South Island Kokako and North Island Kokako. <laughs> they are related. We have an existing population of North Island Kokako, so we can go and record them. And then we can say, maybe it sounded a bit like it, or maybe some of the sounds were the same. So then I produced a stochastic differential equation, so a way of sampling sounds that were close, trained it on as much as I could, and produced some of the world's worst noises. And then I persuaded people to listen to it for a bit and throw away the ones that just sounded completely fake. And eventually we ended up with 10 or 15 minutes of stuff that you could, if you close your eyes, you can believe it's a bird. Doesn't mean it sounded like the bird. (laughs) It sounded like something. (laughs) And then we trained filters to go and recognize all those things. So it recognizes things that sound like the North Island Kokako, it recognizes all these things we've generated around it. And then we put recorders out across lots of the South Island. So there's a South Island Kokako Trust of people who believe in the existence of the bird, who are looking for it and listening for it in lots of places. And they helped me identify places that it might be and helped me put the recorders out. And we collected huge amounts of data which when we start to process and you discover a few things one is some birds might sound quite like it and it probably isn't and you've got to start listening and really working to tell yeah so that's one challenge another is if you do playback so one thing we did was we played back some of these calls and hoped the bird would answer then other birds like the tui and the bellbird two of our native birds will imitate that and kind of call very similar back to you. Right. <laughs> so you start to realise that you're hearing something that sounds very like it, but it's only after you've done the playback. <laughs> Which makes for its own special challenges. <laughs> and then we spend a lot of time, or some people spend quite a lot of time, listening through those and putting some effort into saying, well, what was that? 
and can we differentiate it? Mm. And then the last thing you discover is that the South Island Kokako was also known as the Quiet Ghost. Probably meaning it didn't sing that much anyway. <laughs> right. so it's great as a possible tool to say, these are places where you should concentrate looking. Yeah. But acoustics will never tell you, yes, that bird definitely exists though. It will tell you, these are places where you should go and look for other evidence. Yeah. And there are people who know what kind of other evidence there may be. And there are a few places that they really focused on looking. So. Sounds like a great challenge. It is. It is a great challenge. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> and and uh, you haven't found one yet? Haven't found one yet. And we've been through a lot of, a lot of data. It's been a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> Challenging. But never say never. And so can you explain uh, a little bit about the, from a practical perspective, what what does this work look like in terms of going into the field and what are you deploying and then what are you bringing back from that, that field study mm -hmm. and, and what do you do with the data? And So, I mean, there's lots of answers to bits of that. So the Department of Conservation here, DOC, they build and have built for a long time now acoustic recorders. So these are the ones that DOC builds, a guy called Stu Cobra, and they're small kind of, what, 20 centimetre tall things with some AA batteries and a clock and an SD card in, and you carry, stick a load of those in your backpack, put them out, and record for some number of hours per night. Stu, I guess, designed and built those because there was nothing else that was competing, and now there's 10 different companies building even smaller mm -hmm. things. As, you know, you go down to something like an audio moth, it weighs a couple of hundred grams. Mm. You can fit lots and lots of them in the microphones, not as good, but yeah. They're extremely small and lightweight and cheap. Yeah. Or you can go all the way out to this company's um, spending, giving you a thousand US dollar, much better, higher quality equivalents. So pick your price point and go for what you can. Hope, hope you don't lose any. And definitely hope you don't lose them and hope that things like Kaka, which are one of our parrots in Kia, don't destroy the microphones, which they will on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yep. No, you know, living, living with cockatoos in same, Sydney. Same uh, idea, yep. <laughs> so then, so you put those out and the batteries will last, depend on which model, let's say a couple of weeks of recording. Or if you're doing the, so what the, what the, some of the recorders have a bat mode and they'll record spectrograms instead of actual sounds. And then somebody will collect it and eventually data will get into a computer. And a lot of community groups, that's exactly where they lose interest. Because right. putting recorders out is something you can believe in. You get to go for a nice bushwalk. Yes, exactly. You get to go for two nice bushwalks because you find them <laughs> yeah, again. That's <laughs> right. um, and you can get the data into a computer, but then you suddenly realize that looking at it and doing things with it is hard. And yeah. if you're not immediately into the computer end of things or the acoustics end of it, things stop there. Some groups, that's not true. Yeah. A lot, it is. And then some of that will come back to us or people will actually start to use avians to say, well, at least I can look at it and I can see what's in there and I can possibly start to label some things. And they might run a few filters and see, can they, you know, if you run our stuff there, it should hopefully help you filter out that there are kiwi present or not mm. of different species and a few other species that we've already trained filters on. And most users will just do that. They will say, I just want to recognize what you can already give me. The software, you can train your own filters. So if you've got enough data about your species of interest, the whole way of labeling, marking, running is kind of all, at least in theory, you're tutored through it. 
And, and is what you're looking for to train the model, is that measurements of the birds in the same sort of environment with the same sort of equipment that you're Ideally, then yep. going to... Yeah. We play some games with trying to make it a bit more general than yeah. that. Adding noise for different places, mm. adding the kind of different microphone dropout, but mm. it tends to work better if it's similar. Especially, thing, it's things like real background noise. If you've got all your recordings were taken next to an airport, then the software is going to learn that if it hasn't got a plane in the background, it's probably not real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of telling, yeah. Data tells machines lots of things that it shouldn't. Yeah. And it can be very hard to work out which things those are. So then we, depending again what species it is and what you want from it, we will try and, a lot of people it's then just how many calls did they get? So they're interested in, uh, is my call rate going up or down? Mm. And the hope is that that's a proxy for number of birds. Now, Unfortunately, in many species, it's really not. So, but it's, it's an indication of something. Mm. But it may be an indication of time of year, it may be an indication of stress, it may be an indication of all kinds of things going on. You have one, one bird that, that yep. squawks 100 times a day, or you have 100 birds that squawk once a day, and then you get exactly. the same. Yep, you can't tell the difference necessarily unless you invest a bit further into things. So one thing we advise is putting out recorders in grids with overlapping detection. Mm. And the reason for that is we have statistical methods, usually called acoustic, spatial capture, recapture. It's not the only one, but it's one example of a method that lets you build in the information about that capture history and then start to estimate call. So you, you're still only estimating the call rate abundance, but you're starting to get some idea of that's how many calls there are. Mm. Turning that back into... Number of animals. Number of animals is a next step. So, so does that statistical analysis need time alignment between your different monitors? It does, and that is an issue. We do it post-hoc. None of these recorders are time aligned in any useful way. You set a yeah. clock on them probably to the nearest second, yeah. and then you hope there's not too much clock drift, but they've got batteries in. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so what we do is, on a day-by-day -day basis, one of the students, Julius, wrote some software that just tries to time align by shifting the time across to mm. maximize the number of overlapping calls. Yeah. And that, it helps, but it won't do the other things that you might start to want, such as saying, well, we can actually estimate distance, well, at least direction from time of arrival there, because the microphones, you don't know exactly where they are. The GPS is accurate to five meters, mm. if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and the time is out, so to do that, you really need an array. Yeah. And um, we've started to build some arrays and see what we can do with that. But again, you want to put them down in the bush. They've got to have enough power to keep themselves going for yeah. long enough to Yeah, to yeah, there's big power draw must be. And someone's got to carry the batteries in as well. And so, yeah. <laughs> and I never seem to find students who will do my carrying for them. They seem to think I'll do their carrying for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they might do the carrying once, but yeah. not, again, not the second time. Funnily enough, they forget their backpacks the second time, things like that. <laughs> Um, so there must be, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I've been hearing about this for, you know, maybe an hour this morning, um, and I'm already thinking about how many different directions you could go off with this. It's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Where, where, are you, where, are you, where do you feel it's headed? Where are you, or where do you personally want to head with what's next? Some of, it's pure, <laughs> some of it is purely pragmatic. I want it to actually work 
in terms of can we actually deploy these things in the bush and see what happens. That's it's funny again. I'm a mathematician. Most of my work is not particularly practical. Mm. It's quite nice to have something that has a real practical thing behind it, especially when it's me that gets out and goes to see things in the field. So, mm. so that's really one part. I just want it to work. It's it's practical and it's and it's ecology. Yes, and it's the the. The overlaps, some of the, some of the uh, some of the Venn diagrams in uh, your life are uh, yep. pretty. It's, it's a small population that inhabits uh, some of these overlaps. Indeed, I think I'm the intersection set of mathematicians and Kiwi handlers. Is me. Um, <laughs> if I ever find another one, I might have to kill them. But <laughs> <laughs> so no, there are. There's definitely points in this where I feel a bit like I'm not. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be allowed a license to do some of the acoustics things that I try and do and a few things like that. But in the end, it is coming back to the data. If the data, if it doesn't work to do the estimation we've got, it becomes less interesting. And this is, in at heart, it's entirely practical. Mm. Having said that, we do have parts of the project looking at spectrograms and how to actually describe them mathematically and improve them to help with that. Mm. We have whole load of questions about how to actually get this stuff so it works as efficiently as possible mm. in terms of how many recorders should you put out where should you put them out and I quite I mean one of the dream ideas here really is something that says you want <laughs> you've got this much stuff to invest money time SD cards batteries whatever you decide and it will and here's my terrain, here's something about how I would lay them out and what you would do in order to maximize some kind of monitoring thing. So mm. and then turning that into something that people can query. Mm. So even a live dashboard of this is the health of the forest based on what we're doing would be a really nice thing to get. Mm. That's yeah, you asked about the dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and then just understanding how to turn this back into actual abundance of birds. Yeah. And start to see because then so New Zealand has huge numbers of trapping groups and people doing replanting in areas and just lots of things to make some of the environmental areas come back to where the way they should be. Yep. But we don't know what works and what doesn't. Mm. So having that idea of people did this because they thought it was going to work but nothing yeah. changed yeah. becomes much more important than saying, yeah. well, yeah. this was actually something we showed really made a difference, even though it's small. And you can start to then change to triage that of, well, these are all really cheap things you could do and they will make a difference. There's so much intersection and overlay between your work and all these other areas and, you know, it's, it's, it's yep. really interesting. It is. It's, it's amazing. The things I... Noise is one of the biggest things that bites us continuously. Yeah. It's because we're capturing all the sound around a recorder, we've got the wind, we've got the rain, we've got the streams, everything else that's there. If we're doing things in a wetland, we've got all the cows that are walking past <laughs> making noise. Yeah. So, and then it's quite hard to get an individual bird to come up to your microphone and call in isolation. They'll overlap. I've already <laughs> talked earlier about the dawn chorus and what that does, where you might get yeah, yeah. multiple species all going. Yeah. And separating that out at the moment is something we have no idea how to do or what to do with it. Over time, I'd really like to look at that and start to look at what the acoustic niches are because they won't be competing exactly on frequency bands because they won't be able to hear each other yep. so there must be that differentiation mm, and yeah. there's evidence that birds do acoustic niche in the sense of if one frequency band is that they would naturally use is already full they'll move up to a different one yes I've seen there was some of the British uh, 
birds in urban areas where they shift yep. their pitch. Exactly. So if we could start to see that kind of thing and actually follow it, it'd be really nice. With one of a master's student at the moment, Lev, been looking at song complexity in Totowai, the robin, North New Zealand robin, because um, one of my colleagues at Victoria University, Rachel Shaw, has got this amazing data set of how long they have to be breeding, doing things. So we've been looking at, can we look at whether the birds that produce more complex songs have got better breeding success or better mating success. Yeah. And there's a kind of, maybe it's the case they get better mating success, but not breeding, because they're so busy thinking about their songs and they're not very good at feeding. Mm. So a couple of things to finish up. One is um, with all the complexity of the artificial intelligence or the machine learning mm -hmm. and all this, there are still sounds that the humans pick out of the noise that the machines don't. Very um, much so. Yeah. Which just gives us more gives me more appreciation of. Um, what the complexity of going, what's going yeah. on in, in the human brain. <laughs> it's, we're really good at sound. I mean, we, we can estimate direction with two ears. Yeah. We can separate out what they call the cocktail party problem of, you know, we're at a conference, there's people yeah. talking all around, but we can talk to the person, not even necessarily the one right next to us, but somebody over and yeah. differentiate them. Yeah. Computers can't do that stuff at all in any useful way. So mm. we don't understand how the brain, well certainly I don't understand how the brain does any of these things and therefore we can't emulate it. Now, convolutional neural networks for vision, which work to some degree, they don't work necessarily as well as, as, well as the hype says, but they do work. Um, they don't work like a they don't really work like a brain does the imaging stuff. Mm. They work in the same kind of column structure and finding filters, but they don't, they're not identical. Yeah. But somehow that engineering problem gets finessed away. Mm. The same thing doesn't seem to be yet the case for sound. Mm. I don't know if it's because we don't understand how it works or because we're doing something wrong or, or what. But you think, you know, we've got these two senses, it'd be nice if we could do both of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're absolutely right, the human ear is amazing. Yeah. And animal ears. Yeah. You know, we can direct attention at things, we can focus, we can subconsciously seemingly pick out things that are important to us. And we don't have to make any machine do any of those things yet. Mm. Um, if, if someone's interested in this whole, I guess, um, uh, signal, you know, um, signal recognition from audio and um, uh, avions and data processing, I guess, where, where should they go? Where, what should they be sort of, what's, what's the route in for someone who doesn't maybe have a uh, mathematics? Uh... So I guess it depends what they want to do. If you want to, if you're in a community group and you're looking after some bush, then stick, yeah. Look, look, the magic words are, the acronym is AIU, which is Acoustic or Automatic Recording Unit. And you'll find several companies who will be keen to sell you at your price point something yeah. that you can stick out and get some recording on. Yeah. And you can download Avians. So if you go to avians.net, you can just download the software. And for most computers, it seems to run reasonably well that way. 
So that will give you something that you can at least look at spectrograms and see what's happening. I've started to put some mini blogs up on the web page about how things work, so just how a spectrogram is made at a level that I hope is comprehensible to anybody. Yeah. Um, now, technically I'm a paid educator as a university academic, but it's not always meaning I'm getting the level right. So <laughs> there are, <laughs> you know, maybe some things need simplifying. <laughs> right. So that's, so that's if you're, if you're just interested at that level, then I personally, my real thing is just suck it and see, get yeah. some data, see what happens. Yeah. If you're a programmer and you really want to get involved, Avians is open source. Pull from it's on GitHub, um, and you can find that via the Avians webpage. So mm -hmm. pull and take a look. Let me know of things. I'm always interested to hear about ideas. Mm. I'm always saying there's going to be a new version released soon, but I'm hoping it's going to be true <laughs> <laughs> quite soon. <laughs> I think that's all software. Yes, <laughs> and there's going to be extensions coming up over the next couple of years as I find time, or as students get involved to do mm. different things. So. If you're an acoustics person, a programmer, or somebody from that side, then please feel free. Jump in. If you're an ecologist or you've got an interest in a the species, then the more, the more we know behaviourally about this species, yeah. the better chance we've got. The more data yeah. there is, the better chance. If you train a filter for avians, save it and tell it and send it to us. We've got a little thing to download other ones mm. and get people so they can share. Great. So it's, it's all meant to be in a kind of open source freely sharing uh, open source but it's also collaborative there's so many bits that need to feed you know the ecology yep. piece needs to feed in and the you know the computer programming piece needs to feed in it's yep. um and you're like a starfish just it is a starfish <laughs> it's just out. i feel like i am multiple limbed at the center of that now which is not to be you know i have good ecologists working with this isabel castro amongst others there are no other mathematicians there at the moment, but there are students interested in different things. We've got really mm. good collaborators with statisticians, such as Rachel Fuster in Auckland. There are people around who, who are really doing different things here, but I definitely feel like I'm stretching myself a little bit thin in the middle of it. Yeah. And where can people find out about your work or if they want more information, where should they head? So avians.net is the webpage for the Avians Project. Um, if they just search for me, Stephen Marsland, then they'll find me at Victoria University of Wellington and can see some pictures of me looking smug with animals in my hands. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, mathematicians are going field work are lucky people. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So that's, yeah, that's the places. And then email is always good. I, I read email, I try and respond to email, <laughs> sometimes in a timely fashion, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, Stephen, thank, uh, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks very much.